But let me tell you a story. I always like telling stories. I always like introducing everything with a story. So it's a true story. I was headed home from work the other day because I live over in Ontario, for those of you that don't know. And I work in Upland, so I'll often shoot over to Euclid Street from Foothill and drive down Euclid. Euclid has two roads on either side. There are three lanes, and then there's a, there's a median that has all this grass area in between it. And, and so they'll put up these little structures during Christmas. They call it Christmas on Euclid, and they were getting ready for that. And each one of these little structures has little statues of it that tell the nativity story, right? Jesus in the temple, Jesus when, when they were going to Egypt, when they were going from Bethlehem, and then when he was born in the manger. And it has all those scenes, and it ends with Jesus glorified, right? And it's just Christmas, and I, and I was driving by these structures, depending these scenes, and I remembered... Man, we took Elijah there last year when we'd just run up and down the grass and he'd go from structure to structure and he wanted to climb over the structures and move the little boundaries and stuff because that's what kids do. And I was thinking to myself, man, that, how long? Well, that was last year. But it felt, it felt like we had just done it. Now, I know it was a year ago, but it felt like we had just went there and done that, right? As I was driving by there, I was thinking to myself, it's Christmas again like it's already here like we've already like we've gone through the year and christmas is already here again it's already here here we go again and i got to get prepared again and we're gonna have all these family things again and i got to get all these presents for people again 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 the christmas season is here i got to prepare myself and i thought to myself man i have two options I have two. There's only two. I can let it sneak up on me like it did. And it's like, oh, it's here again, right? And it overtakes us. And then we get overwhelmed by it because we have all these tasks that we have to do. Usually people get the tasks done, don't they? They're like, oh, well, I got to get the presents. I got to get this. I got to get that. It's Black Friday shopping. We got to get to the store. Cyber Monday. Oh, is that tomorrow? I don't know when that is, but it, I, I don't do it. But there's people that are like, I got to jump on the computer at 12 a.m. to get that laptop I wanted so badly. We get caught up all in all of it and we get fast moving through it. And life is happening fast, isn't it? We can just miss it all. We can just miss it all. It can all pass by us because we're we're stuck in the tasks of do, 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 do. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move. And that's how life usually is, isn't it? For a lot of us. Christmas is no different. It'll be here. It'll be gone before we even know it happened. We'll be anticipating, and then we'll open up those gifts on Christmas morning, and we'll be like, yes, I got what I wanted, whatever it is, that sweater you wanted, whatever it is, right? And then that you'll wear it once, twice, maybe three times. And uh... I remember as a kid, I'd open all my gifts, and I'd have those gifts, and then I'd play with them for a little while, but by the mid-afternoon, I was like, okay, what do we do now? Played with all my toys. It'd be here and gone before we know it. It can sneak up on you, pass you by. You just rush right on by. The second option, the second option I have, I can get in front of it. And I can enjoy every last minute of it. I can look at all the twinkling lights that people are putting up and enjoy them for a second. 
My wife does that. We were on a walk, and she was like, let's take a different route because there's lights down this street. And I'm like, already? <laughs> but okay, let's do it. <laughs> like, people already have lights up. Some people, I believe this to be true. I don't know if it's true, but I believe it to be true. Once they eat their Thanksgiving turkey and take their nap and watch their football game, they go outside and hang lights. <laughs> because the lights are already up. <laughs> we can enjoy every minute of it. And that's why we celebrate Advent. Advent is a season of, of hopeful anticipation as we prepare for the celebration of Jesus at Christmas. That's what it is. That's why we have the displays on Euclid, right, that, that anticipate, and as you move along, they, oh, it's getting better, it's getting better, it's getting better. Oh, he came, okay. And it still continues, right, because it still tells the story up until, you know, the light of the robe. The term Advent is a, a version of the Latin word meaning coming. <laughs> For Christians, the season of Advent anticipates the coming of Christ. But it anticipates the coming of Christ in two different ways. Ooh, but the fact that he's already come. That's the first. Christ has already come. He's already entered into the robe. <laughs> but this, he's already come. He's, he's walked among us. He's performed miracles. He suffered himself for our sake, right? He's done these things already. The early church, they rejoiced in this. They celebrated this. They, they, Christ had come that first time. They were like, yes, mm, rock star. He came. He was with us. But they rejoiced even more because that second part, which is he's coming again. Right? We forget that part. When you ask people the gospel news, they always tell you that Christ came. He walked among us. He performed miracles. He died for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering death also so that we don't have to. And then he sent it into heaven. But wait, they forgot the next one. And he's coming back. <laughs> and so there was that hope that not only had he come and we have the here and now, but he's coming again. He's coming again. It is why we have Advent candles. It's why we have those readings. It's why we have Christmas directions. It's why we give presents, because we have the presence of Christ in our life, and the best gift that we can ever have was Christ. It's the reason we celebrate with dinners and meals together and have fellowship with one another and get happy and excited during this time of year. You see, you have to understand that if you take Christ out of Christmas, you'd be missing the whole purpose of the celebration. You'd be left with eating food and opening presents that people gave you. You'd be left with statues and lights and Santa Claus and reindeers and the nightmare before Christmas. You'd be left with all that. They're, they're all fun but good. But all those things are fleeting. They come and they go, and they come and they go every year. And you show up and you're like, oh, those boxes are back up. And then you go, and then they take them down. Oh, they took down the boxes. And then in the other year, and they put up the boxes, and they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it again. It's fleeting. It comes and goes in and out of our lives. And none of those things provide lasting hope. Like I told you, I helped my guests on Christmas morning, and by the afternoon, oh, what do I do now? 
Look, if you look around our world today, there is great suffering. It's not hard to see the grip that evil has on our world. You could say that we live in, in a very discouraging times. And we can forget, in the midst of all this holiday haze, those who go without. And not just without gifts, right? We, people do go without gifts, right? But in our real, there are also those without parents due to incarceration, due to loss. Without homeland due to war and persecution, without food due to famine and poverty, without health due to disease, oppression, or violence, there is real suffering in real ways all around our world, and it's not hard to find. Just turn on the news. And for many, it feels like Christ, that God is not speaking. Where the message of Christmas is lost, that commercialized holiday. Where the message of Christmas is lost, the message of Advent is not. Not at all. For those who are suffering, Christ has come. He has already come. He has already performed the miracles. He has already defeated sin and death, and he's conquered. Like, he's done it all for us. He gave it all. And as the church, we are able to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the midst of all of this suffering, and we should be. Should be illustrating the incarnation of Christ with our lives. But if we're honest, to carry out the mission of Christ in this world is an uphill battle against insurmountable odds. Everyone seems to be pushing against us. No one wants to hear our truth. It isn't our truth, it's God's truth. You're not speaking your truth, you're speaking God's truth. And you should be speaking it in love. You see, the early church faced a similar situation, but they kept their hearts encouraged, and the hope of Jesus coming again kept them moving forward. Because they knew, without a shadow of doubt, they knew God is coming again. Christ will come back. I didn't forget that part. He didn't just ascend into heaven, now I have all these great things that he's given me. He's coming back. And everything that's wrong will be set right. There will be no suffering. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. And so our text this morning, it's not a typical Christmas scripture. But it ties us back to the hope that we have in Christ. It's Romans 15, 1 through 13. And it's kind of long, so there's a few slides. <laughs> But it's from the NLT. I thought I would do it from the NLT because it reads a little different than the NIV. And it kind of helps us understand what Paul is trying to say. So I'm going to read it from the NLT. It says this. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about these things. We must not please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even... Christ didn't live to please himself, as the scriptures say. The insults of those who insult you, O oh God, have fallen on me. 
Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you amongst the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. So I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Woo. Did you see there the psalmist in the Old Testament? Old Testament, not New Testament. We often think New Testament, that's when he gave it to the Gentiles. No, Old Testament, he is speaking to the Gentiles. For this I will praise you amongst the Gentiles. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all the people of the earth. He will rule over the Gentiles. You see, it was always God's plan for us to have a Redeemer. That wasn't just for like a segment of society, right? It was always God's plan for all to come to know Christ. Nothing, nothing, nothing ever catches God off guard like he's like, like, oh shoot, what do I do with that? Didn't see that one coming. Oh, what do I do now? God's not caught off guard. He's wearing his big boy pants. He knows what's going on. It was prophesied and then completed first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Both, all of you. He wants all to come to know him. And God said that he would come as a child, there would be suffering and death, and we would have a redeemer for the sins of mankind. Advent is that celebration of his first coming. But it also anticipates his second coming. He's coming again. As a mature believer, you cannot separate the two. And there's a reason I use the word mature believer. <laughs> because listen to what Paul says about the believers. See, he says, we who are strong... Oh, who's he speaking to now? He's identifying with the mature believer. We who are strong. Those that have personal convictions. Those that have the Holy Spirit so strong in them that they are convicted of things when they go and do something that they maybe shouldn't be doing. Right? Those who have convictions. 
personal relationship with Jesus Christ, those who know God and have like this intimate relationship and are like so full of the Holy Spirit that they're kind of connected and they're kind of like, oh, that was cool what God did there, right? And they can see it happening and they can look back and see all that God has done. Those that are strong, those that are strong in God's word, those that, you know, those friends that you're like, hey, where's that scripture at? And they can pull the scripture out of their head and be like, that's in Matthew 5, 15, right? They can just pull it out. They know exactly where it is. Those who are strong. Don't just tolerate new believers. Guide them. You see, he says you're supposed to be sensitive to the lives of the others around you. New believers, they don't know as much as you. They're not as connected as you. They might be on fire. They may look like it, but they're... they're Love on them, guide them, teach them, disciple them. <laughs> and matter of fact, God's word should teach you. So as you patiently wait and endure, you, we would hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ because we've read the words of God and what they have promised us and we've connected that the Old Testament is connected in the New Testament, right? And the old is revealed in the new and the new is concealed in the old. That was what Augustine would have said, right? Uh, so we understand that. So teach that, but also learn from that. Let God teach you through his word. That this is the essence of Christmas right here. The hope that we have in Christ is this. He came. He lived among us. He endured it all so that we could have it all. Wait, but what, what, what exactly is it all? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? If you ever ask that question, like, I can have it all. Christ came and gave it all so that I can have it all. What is all? What do we mean by that? There are several things. But I want to concentrate on the first thing, is that Advent promises new life in Christ. It means that we know who God is. We know what God is like. This is kind of cool. The coming of Christ gave us a living picture of what God is like. Because Jesus is God, right? And he walked around, and he was fully God and fully man. Christ coming put a face on God. We know what he's like. He walked among us. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's in Colossians 1, 15 through 16. We, we know what God is like. That's what we mean by the incarnation. God came to earth wrapped in a human body. The God of heaven came to live a, a, among us so that we might truly know what he is truly like. He came to teach us. He came to die for us that we might be forgiven. He rose from the dead to help us know that we live and we will be raised. He gave us new life. We have new life in Christ. He ascended to the Father to intercede for us. You see there. 
And the really cool part is that he sent his Holy Spirit. So now we had an intercessor in heaven and an intercessor on earth in our hearts, right? So there's both going on. And he promised that he will return so that eternal hope would burn in our hearts. Eternal, confident hope would burn in our hearts. In a sense, he opened up the doors of heaven. There's a house party. You're welcome to it. Come on in. He, Jesus, gave us hope. We read the Apostles' Creed every week. Every week we read that. The God of heaven came to live among us. He came to teach us. He came to die for us. He, he came to forgive our sins. He rose from the dead to help us. He ascended to the Father to intercede for us. He promised that he will return again. All that stuff is in the Apostles' Creed. That is what we believe. That is what is true. The doors of heaven are wide open to all. Not just some. That's the hope that we have in Christ. And if that don't make you smile, I don't, I, I'm just using words this morning then. That's why we say at Christmas, that's why they sing the songs, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. You know the song, right? Because God is with us. That's what it means. He was with us 2,000 years ago, and he is with us now in the present time right here today. We have a God who cared enough to come. There is no other religion in the world that can make that claim. None. Showed us what he was like. He was the friend of sinners and failures. Over and over again, they would get mad at him. Why are you sitting with sinners? He chose 12 disciples who were a little older than when you would start being a disciple because no one really wanted him around. He chose the outcast. A little motley crew of people, right? He showed love and compassion to the outcasts of the world. And then he chose as his disciples the outcasts of the world to then go and preach his message to the world. He healed the sick and raised the dead. Now someone once said, hey, I don't believe in it because no one can come back from the dead. And I said, well, you're right. Science does tell us that when you're dead, you're not coming back. Which is why that is a miracle. This is the very essence of what it means to be a miracle. Because you can't really turn water into wine. Science will tell you, you can't part a sea just by sticking your staff in it. No, it's not going to happen. That's why it's a miracle. What if Jesus had never come? What if Jesus had never come? They'd have only commandments to follow, right? The laws to follow. 
we'd be like slaughtering sheep in here instead of preaching the good news. We'd have little altars here and we'd kill sheep and we'd throw their blood all over the walls. We'd have, back here, we'd have a little door and we'd tie a bell to you, right? Because if you went in and there's a little rope to your foot and you went in and that bell stopped ringing, we'd pull you back out because you weren't holy enough to be in the presence of God. And we'd hear, never hear the, the great words of the New Testament, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, not just, you know, those people, if they believe in him, no, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3, 16 through 17. You see, without Christ, we'd be missing the Savior. If Jesus had never come, there would be no book of Revelation. And what does that mean? There would be no hope of Christ's return. There'd be no hope for this world. We'd be just sitting here and we'd be like, ah, oh, well, this is a mess. There would be no hope of hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. There would be none of that. There would be no hope of a resurrection, not even the concept of one. We wouldn't even have, there, there, the whole afterlife thing, that would, what? There'd be no eternal life. Nothing to anticipate except the closing of the casket door and worms that will eat your body. Coldness of the grave. If there is no Christ, what exactly are we celebrating? Why exactly are we putting up Christmas lights? Why exactly are we putting, buying these Christmas trees that are way too expensive to put in our house for a whole month and throw away? Why exactly are we having feasts and meals and celebrating g gifts, I guess? If there is no Christ, what exactly are we celebrating? Isaiah told about his longing for something more. He dared to believe that something better was coming even though his culture was corrupt and everything around him seemed dark. Sound familiar? He once said, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. He's longing for the Lord to somehow come down into his world to make sense of all this nonsense. All this craziness. To bring peace to all the, the problems, to dispel the darkness and to remove all evil. Isaiah was hungry to have the Holy One enter our whacked out world. And he wanted to do it in an extraordinary manner. 
And so Isaiah also said this, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Fe- Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. Now listen. Isaiah was believed to live about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Before. 700 years before. And he penned these words 700 years before. For us, a child is born. For us, a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God would burst through the heavens and he would come down, wouldn't he? You know, when he said, for us a child is born, he was talking about Jesus, wasn't he? To us a son is given, that's the son of God. The gift. That's your Christmas gift right there. Gratefulness, it looks back, right? So grateful for what God has done for me. So grateful that his son burst forth into the world. I'm so grateful that something that was written 700 years before it happened, happened. The chances of that, mathematically, by the way, the Vegas odds... I mean, you can put a one and then a billion zeros behind it. (laughs) Yet every one of those Old Testament prophecies came to fruition in the New Testament. You explain that to me for a second. You cannot be into stats and (laughs) not believe the Bible. So gratefulness looks back, right? What God has already done for us. Hope looks forward with desire and reasonable confidence and expectation to what is to come. And by looking back, our gratitude fuels that forward-looking hope, doesn't it? So people that tend not to be grateful, you know? They also tend not to be hopeful. I've been giving nothing and I don't expect anything. Does that follow? Hopelessness is a curse. It's the curse of trusting in man or anything other than God. His perfect wisdom and his perfect timing. We look forward, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and the character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts and through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, and we we then pour that out into others. 
You see, the goal of everything, including suffering, is hope. You see, many lose hope during hard times, don't they? Oh, man, there's nothing to look forward to. There's no hope. There's nothing going on. But God intends, even for those trials of life, to produce hope through faith because we're looking forward to a time when God will return and make everything right. Never, ever, 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 ever says in the Bible that life is going to be easy. <laughs> you show me. And Jesus did not ever, ever, ever say that he was a way of many ways. A truth of many truths. A life of many lives. He didn't say that. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It is as though all the blessings, uh, all the hope, all the mercy and goodness were placed by divine will into a room in which there was only one entrance. Uh, there was no way to obtain these blessings except to enter through that one entrance. And Jesus had the key to it. <laughs> And then one day he unlocked that door, opened it up, swung it open, said, come on in. It's free to you. Come on. I have opened the door. I've unlocked it. You can come on in. Everything's yours. All of it. All the blessings. All the hope. All the mercy. All the goodness. It's all yours. You have free access to it. He has provided everything. That is what we mean by all. As Paul said, the scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So as, as we begin this Advent season, I would encourage you to stay focused on the one who brings hope. But also... Paul said, remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. But he also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. And there, that is the challenge. Paul prays, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says that you would overflow with confident hope. You see, the gift is for you, right? It's a present put under your tree, has your name on it. But you know what? Everyone else has that free gift as well. It's not just for you. It's for all. And your confident hope is a shining beacon into a world that desperately needs some confident hope. Some audacious hope, right? All the audacity, right? Elijah will climb up on a counter. It's all like way up here, right? And he'll look at me, his dad. And he'll just jump off because he knows I'm going to catch him. Woo! 
Adults, if we climbed up on a cliff, are we jumping off? <laughs> no, he, he knows I'm going to catch him. He hopes I'm going to catch him. <laughs> That's audacious hope. That's belief. And we, we, we should be overflowing with it. That the hope that you have received would overflow and touch the lives of others around you. And they'd be like, where do you get this hope from? Do you realize what's going on around us? Oh man, that door's wide open. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you why I'm so hopeful. This season I challenge you, even in the midst of all the chaos, to live a life that is overflowing with confident hope. So that others may glorify your God who is in heaven. 